how is that possible it doesn't show up well so i wanted to retweet it from, from game, game of bones yeah get that promo it doesn't do the double quote. it doesn't yeah it doesn't do the double quote and show the picture of the cutest baby on the face of the earth so you could still i'm just retweeted it okay <laughs> so i just settled happy halloween thank you for sending us your baby clad john snows with ghosts standing beside him because <laughs> what's the point of halloween if not to see little babies dressed up as our favorite characters or dragons or dragons with little baby direwolves i can't i just can't deal with it i know how we always talk about the hbo series growing in popularity every year but it seems that it is even more in vogue to be a game of thrones character this year than it's ever been your costumes are absolutely ridiculous it's true my can i give a shout out to my favorite costume no jordan (laughs) (laughs) you can't play favorites jordan who works on mischief staff who's working on con of thrones i don't know if you guys saw his halloween costume but he dressed up as i'm trying to find a picture um he dressed up as renly when Renly's about to die. So he's got like a smoke thing coming up behind him and he's dressed up as Renly. Oh, good Lord. That's um, awesome. It's, like, it's very intricate and very intense. So, so I wait. was like, he should cosplay that at Con of Thrones. He, he has a, a smoke mis- machine actually attached to him? Or? No, it's just like a, a figure like coming out of him. I'll send you a picture. Oh, it's that's cool. cool. Oh, okay. But Micah, that's actually a really good idea. And I think I don't think we should shelve that idea so soon. <laughs> <laughs> We also had the young wolf tweet us. He's wearing the incredibly expensive Night King mask that I've been lusting for for months on top of a, a wonderfully beautiful uh, cosplay of Jon Snow for voting. What does it all mean? Hmm. And then Alicia tweeted at us her picture. She says, I'm spending Halloween weekend working on my Lord Snow smolder. And she is Jon Snow. Yeah, she's killing it, honestly. The natural question to ask, though, would be, are any of us going to be dressing up as Game of Thrones characters? Not this year. I Last year, um, my friend Olivia and I went as Jon Snow and Egret. And then I had this sign that was like dead or alive because I wanted people to fight me. Um, but it didn't go off so well. <laughs> Nobody wanted to fight me. So I didn't do I didn't do Game of Thrones this year. Well, that's just because of your natural badassery. Yeah, they were scared. Yeah, yeah, true, 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 probably. You didn't have to dress up to intimidate people, Hannah. Well, and I think rolling up to a club in Miami trying to fight people about a song of Ice and Fire isn't really the best <laughs> In Miami. <arena>. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah was on location. So, this is what we do. <laughs> so I uh, didn't do Game of Thrones costume this year. And now I see, Zach, what you sent through here from Alicia. Very, very serious looking Jon Snow. Yeah, she killed it. I want to go as Daenerys really badly. Season one, season two era Daenerys. I just think it would be fun. So if there's any Call Drogos out there for me, <laughs> send us a I'm tweet ready. at Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we do have two incredible chapters still feasting through our read-through of A Feast with Dragons. And one of the chapters, we could say both because the turtle was large and tragically terrifying, but definitely one of our chapters fits the Halloween terrifying horror theme that we should have on the show. Maybe we'll put some scary music at the beginning because this is the chapter where Bran Stark and company in truly majestic, epic George R. R. Martin fashion make it up the slope to the Great Weirwood Tree, and the Three-Eyed Raven. And this chapter was intense. And I think that it's fitting, like you said, for Halloween, because we are very much in this very intense situation. It's almost like a, I don't know, it's kind of thrilling as you're 
climbing up that mountain and then we come to find the three-eyed crow inside and I felt like this chapter more so than a lot of chapters we've been dealing with lately has was very present in the moment yeah. and very much just about what was happening on the side of that mountain which I thought was cool mm-hmm. um, and, and made for an exciting like moment by moment are they going to make it type situation I had flashbacks to the show when, when they're trying to make it up the hill and and definitely um appropriate that we're approaching halloween and the uh the whites are 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 coming out uh from underneath the snow i actually watched poltergeist last night not the not the old school one but the new one which i guess was released last year i wasn't very impressed (laughs) i watched children of the corn last night (laughs) mostly because i guess i knew what was going to happen based on having seen poltergeist uh a long, long time ago, but yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. More scared by this chapter or from last night's poltergeist rewatch? Probably, probably more so (laughs) from, from this chapter. What did you think about the adaptation? Cause I know you mentioned the show and it it had Mm -hmm. me thinking about when I was reading it, how, and this is just geographically different because I know Mm -hmm. it would be a lot more difficult to do it. But in this chapter, as we, we go through and talk about it, keep in mind, keep in mind that, there are roots and trees gnarled, and it's a, a very s- steep slope leading up to the point in the the mountainside or the cliffside or the, the the natural thing that has been constructed over time around this great weirwood tree or the grove of trees around it that they can't quite see yet that they're trudging up towards. And in the show, it's kind of a, a flat slope. Obviously, they have to go up to some point because in the show, there is that great vista wide shot that shows them making their way to that tree. But when the whites do attack, it's kind of, you know, it's conveniently valued out for the sake of filming and for the sake of their actors running. But in the book, it's very treacherous and frightening. At the beginning of the chapter, there's a sense that they're being chased by this pack of wolves. Mm -hmm. And then as they slowly are able to make their way up this hill, you get a a different sense from Bran, almost like a a sixth sense. And, And it's said that it's felt in summer as well. That something is just off, right? Cold hands can can feel it as well. That it's it's not just uh, something's not right, right? And 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 so when when you when you compare it with the show, uh, the, the the big difference, of course, is the fact that cold hands is is not there. Uh, Jojen doesn't die, uh, so yay, Jojen! He made it uh, into <laughs> uh, into the cave successfully. I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to sustain, but. Uh, he's able to make it through, but yeah, I would ju- I would just say that sense of of foreboding. I mean, I, I, you can definitely have those gasping moments when watching the show as the hand comes up to 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 clutch at them. Uh, but I think you know you were being very much drawn into uh, early on in this chapter that that something just doesn't seem right about all of this. That's true. Yeah, I agree. And the moment when they mentioned that there's only a dozen ravens that still remained with them. And that, you know, every morning there's fewer and fewer and fewer of that. That also can't mm. lend itself to yeah, that's a great point. something great. Yeah. And also summer is scared as well. Mm. And you have to think about the, you know, summer and summer and other wolves we know from chapters previous. That's not necessarily the case. And also we've got cold hands directly referring to a they. And I kept going back and reading and just wondering if they were talking about the wolves specifically or some kind of specter. And, um, they're talking about the White Walkers, right? Cold Hands is talking about how they don't leave snow prints and about how you can basically feel 
their presence. And I thought about the last chapter that we had with Bran. And in my opinion, we do not get enough Bran Stark chapters because they give us stuff like this, especially when he's this far north of the wall. Do you remember the last chapter when we're told he's like, yes, I am a monster, Bran. I'm your monster. And we're looking outside from the long hall that Sam and Gilly stayed in. And there are all of those ravens that are on the tree just shouting like the same word over and over. That's the mm-hmm. last Bran Stark chapter we had. That crazy, scary. He's the perfect chapter to read before Halloween. What else can we say? I mean, I totally forgot they killed the elk. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally forgot about that, too. And when Bran talks about how he wept like a little girl, it's kind of an emotional thing. He told himself he would not eat it, that it was better to go hungry than to feast upon a friend. But in the end, he'd eaten twice, once in his own skin and once in summers. This whole beginning of this chapter, as we're saying, foreboding to what's to come. They're cold. They're hungry, like physically and emotionally just done. And then Bran mentioning that, you know, they had to eat their friend, essentially, who's carried them so far. And there's this one moment right before they kind of start at the side of the hill, which I guess is doing the mountain a disservice by calling it a hill um and it says wordless for once hodor slapped the snow off his legs and plowed upward through the snowdrifts with bran upon his back not only are they about to face they're about to face but they're all just like on the brink of and especially jojen absolutely collapsing which just adds to this tension of i think even them just climbing up the hill <laughs> in and of itself would have been a monumental task and then the fact that they um go through what they go through and eventually get saved by the children mm-hmm. just makes it that much more of a struggle, obviously. And <laughs> you're not sure either what what's going to happen to Mira and Jojen because they really mm-hmm. are left behind by by Hodor and, and Bran and, and Coldhands as they sort of push forward to get closer uh, to the opening of this cave. One of the things, though, that I wanted to ask you guys is is having the context of of season six you know i know it's it's been a couple of months but we all know what happens uh did you read this chapter uh a little bit differently i know it was mentioned about how bran warged back into hodor and 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 you 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 got the sense of hodor's whimpering inside as, as bran took control of him and and so it made me think back to the uh the hodor episode of the season and even more so when there was a mention, something I completely missed on, on the first read through uh, of, of this chapter when I did it. I don't even know how many years ago at this point, but they mentioned the back door. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. mentioned by, by Coldhand saying the back door is three leagues north down a sinkhole. And it just it immediately made me think of, of Hodor and, and hold the door. And definitely interesting now to go back and read through these chapters having more context from the show than even from having read through A Dance with Dragons. Yeah, I and I think especially in this case with Hodor's backstory, I feel like that's something that we can say, because I know a lot of our conversations are like, well, you know, maybe the show didn't treat it the way it's actually going to be. But I feel like with what happened with Hodor, that's something that we can say, yes, you know, that's canon essentially and so being able to kind of pick up on those clues like you're saying with the back door um is this is special and exciting i agree i thought it was a very cool mention and knowing what we know now it's very interesting because uh we, we see the clues that george r. r martin leaves and he makes sure to to throw something like this and even though they they very seriously 
went the remaining thousand yards um, themselves to the front door, knowing that there was a, a threat that they could just feel in the air. They couldn't have gone the three leagues north and down to the back door, but Cold Hands at least still mentioned it. And we know that there's a back door. And obviously, if it, it, it happens the way that the show adapted it, that would, that would be so cool to see that happen through a sinkhole and to, to find out the story through George R. Martin's pen and paper. I'm, I'm really excited about that. And this chapter just for Hodor in general was fantastic from mm-hmm. the, the snot being frozen on his mustache to the icicles hanging off his beard as he's wading through waist deep snow up the side of the mountain. And uh, the moment where Bran works into him uh, fighting the whites was probably the most exciting thing that I've read battle wise from George R. R. Martin. And it, it still knowing that they survived sort of filled me with the, the goosebumps, knowing that uh, the Hodor shouts that he was shouting himself, the Hodor's of direction and pointing and stuff was like the most coherent that Hodor seemed to his friends around him because it was Bran shouting those things. There was that moment yeah. where, where Bran was like, what did he say? He says he wondered if he, if Mir would think, he wondered what Mir would think if he should suddenly tell her that he loved her. You know, just I, in that, go on. Well, I just, I have, I, that piece was confusing to me. Um, because I felt like I know that Bran was inside Hodor, but I didn't understand if that was something that Bran was trying to say because it's something he was feeling or if it's something that like, these are Hodor's thoughts and feelings that he's like trying to project and kind of what he meant by that. I felt like that was kind of an odd moment. And I read that and I was just (laughs) like, what the heck? I was like, this, it felt like such a random (laughs) thing to be thrown into Mm -hmm. the situation. Right. Like, did anybody else think that was kind of weird? Yeah. It, it was it was oddly timed, that's for sure. But but I think it was more at least the way that I interpreted it was that it would be very odd for Hodor to try and approach Mira and tell her as Hodor how he feels about her. Meaning that it, it was Brand's feelings, but it would be yeah. sort of you know I don't know what the right word is you know like conveyed through Hodor, and we all know that. Hodor can't really say anything other than Hodor, so Hodor. it'd just be very, very weird. But you know, again, then and, and I just happened to come across this, but the part where it said deep inside he could hear poor Hodor whimpering still, it, it's I immediately had that flashback to uh, Winterfell, where young Hodor is is lying on the ground going through this seizure like moment and mm-hmm. you know saying hold the door hold the door and finally transfers uh, over into being hodor if bran continues to do more of this with with hodor i i just can't help but thinking about these moments now from from the television show yeah i agree i have so i have two thoughts slash questions um and i guess like my first thought is that i know we've had a lot of conversations about bran warging into hodor and how that's problematic and how that makes us nervous and how you know that's something that he probably shouldn't be doing but i felt like in this case they wouldn't have made it without that and without what brand decided to do there's no way they would have made it up the hill um past all of them i don't think um and so i i hope that this doesn't justify brand continuing to do it more in the future um just because i just always feel uncomfortable with brand working into hodor and my second point slash question, and maybe this is stupid and you guys can tell me what you think, but when Bran is inside Hodor, 
wouldn't you think that Hodor would be able to then speak normally if Bran is the one who's like controlling what he's saying? I don't think we had a chance for it this time because they were in the heat of battle. He was just whimpering in the corner. And but he's continuing to like scream Hodor and almost like direct be directive. And so I was wondering if it's possible for Hodor to speak clearly or speak in a way that like through Bran with a normal voice. I think that's a really cool point. If anything, I feel like the Hodor speech that we would get would be from Hodor to Bran inside of Hodor's head because the fact that Bran was trying to talk and the only speaking that he could do, someone who can speak through Hodor's body was the words Hodor. It leads me to think that that's all that he can say because of what's happened to him. But I don't know why they wouldn't be able to think to one another. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And I guess I don't think we know enough about warging to really be able to, maybe people who are listening have better answers, but I think that maybe we don't know enough. And another interesting question that comes out of that, though, is is a question that Bran asks himself when he's warging into Hodor, when his body is sort of lying lifeless back oh, somewhere yeah. on the hill. And he says, what happens if the white kills me? Uh, yeah. Will I be inside of Hodor forever or will I go into summer or will I just be dead? And so it, it reminds me a bit of, of Varamir six skins. And so, you know, where, where truly does this, this essence end up? And, you know, is it something that just dissipates into nothingness after a while or, you know, how do, it, it's, it's, there's so many different questions that come up as a result of this, but uh, I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that that Brand is starting to think through these types of questions. It makes me think of John in the books and how maybe the show didn't necessarily think it was smart to go there, but George has set all of the clues through Vermeer, through Brand's thoughts inside of Hodor from the last chapter when he was uh, interacting with Sixkins wolf to wolf when they knew that each other were there and then now in this chapter with that question that Brandon's is expressly asking himself and then asking us to ask ourselves as we're reading it what if when john is killed that that flicker that we all thought would happen like the only way he would survive actual death is that he's going into ghost and maybe if he is resurrected in the normal way maybe he interacts with those around him, maybe Melisandre, maybe Davos, who, who's ever at the wall, and sort of makes it clear that, hey, I'm in here, and they find a way to have the vessel Jon Snow sort of reset so he can then warg back into the body, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think that that totally makes sense. I think that's part of why that theory is one that's been around, is because it it's something that we have not necessarily a precedence for, but Mike, as you're saying, he brings up this question, and he's thinking about it not too long before John... Dies. His end. So, yeah, um, yeah that's an in- interesting point. And we, I just feel like it's know. smart when we look at the clues that he sets out for us because that's, you know, they're speaking between chapters, the, these ideas of, of warging and they've, Brandon and John's chapters have always kind of spoke to each other. Uh, with that in mind, I just feel like that question that he thought of being able to share Hodor's person as his body would possibly be killed by the whites when he's not nearby is so interesting. It kind of reminds me of uh Voldemort splitting a soul seven times um like there's something you can you can do this thing but how far can you push it we don't really know I think that Bran's always going to be the one to kind of push the envelope a little bit and so we'll have to see I was less troubled by Bran's warging in this chapter though because what he did saved 
Jojen and it saved Mira and it allowed for them to make it into the tree. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I still I still feel unsettled by it, but I think that like I was saying, there's no way that they could have made it without this. And I think that this is a case when Bran is using his power for good and for the right thing. Hodor saved them without without the children coming on swooping in. Um, Hodor did a lot. Sure. There's still an unnaturalness about all of it, though, and you seem to be more accepting of it when he's warging into summer or John unknowingly wargs into ghost because it's human to animal. But when there's that human to human connection, like there is with Hodor, there's something different about it. And yeah, yes, in this instance, it was for good, just like it happened to be good in, in a previous instance to, to save him. Um, you know, he had to calm Hodor down from, from wailing. Otherwise it would draw too much attention to them. It just concerns me that this could be a potential opening to go down a road that is very, very evil. Yeah. I agree. You don't want Brand to start using it as justification. Like, Oh, I've done it before. So it's okay. Kind of thing. And I think George wrote the uncomfortableness. What could have been a very triumphant and exciting moment, and it was exhilarating when I read it, but when you go back and you read the quote, this is after Bran hears Hodor shouting, Hodor, obviously, in sort of a sad way, and the sentence switches from him hearing that to immediately being in Hodor's body, so it was kind of like a reflex. It says, Bran ripped Hodor's longsword from his belt. Deep inside, he could hear poor Hodor whimpering, still. But outside, he was seven feet of fury with old iron in his hand. So there's triumphant exhilaration, thrum of battle. So cool. Mm. Seven feet of fury, old longsword. But there's still the half of the sentence where George says that Hodor is poor Hodor is in there whimpering still. Then the question is, is it because Hodor is afraid of, of what's happening around him or is he whimpering because he's being controlled by somebody else? Both. Yeah. I think both. I think both. I, I get nervous about Bran um, because I think that we see where his story is starting to go. Um, and as he starts to mess with time and as he starts to mess with warging, I just feel his whole thing just makes me nervous because I just want him to do it all for the right reasons. Um, and that's not necessarily clear, you know? So he, his, his whole storyline... Um, makes me feel nervous mm. well, where do you guys think he's going to like make it so that everybody in west the wall comes down and everyone in westeros dies <laughs> <laughs> wow that's pretty uh... <laughs> like to be honest with you <laughs> well, well i mean through his working where, where, do, where do you think his working is going to take him i just i don't have the same i understand and i see the hints but i don't know i feel like i'm less worried about that but but it's definitely something that I, he's hinting his, at his working maybe specifically isn't going to put him in a bad spot, but I just feel like it's one of those things that isn't good. Like, I feel like it's one of those things where he's like slipping in and out of slipping around this morality line. And that as he continues to kind of do that, that maybe it'll make his other choices not as clear. If that makes sense necessarily. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. So that's what my fear is. I don't think that he's going to like warg into someone induce harm necessarily that way but i think that it's more of just his overall trajectory in terms of the type of person that he is there's also the ability for him to be controlled by someone or something and 
if he is really this powerful entity that can then subsequently control other things, that's a very powerful weapon for somebody or something to be able to use. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's just how I think about it. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. I don't have any inside information. Uh, well, that's, that's a good thought. Just to go back to the, uh, the whimpering for a second, part of me thinks that he is recalling Winterfell. Like he is, he's reliving the very first moment where this all happened. And so anytime <sighs> that Bran tries to penetrate into his mind and take control of him, it's just, it's that experience all over again from what happened all those years ago. And so that to me, it would explain why he doesn't, you know, he, not that he would ever let Bran fully control him without any sort of fight, but that's why he's kind of going into that cowardly state. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That's also really sad, Mike. Yeah, I just, that like <laughs> punched me in the heart. Well, they make Happy it into Halloween. The, the cave safely. <laughs> Thanks to our unnamed friend, child of the forest, but to Arya. us, yeah, uh, the fake Arya. The Arya thing. When Bran is, is seeing this child of the forest kind of dart through the flames and he thinks that it's Arya for a moment, that's one of those moments when I hate George R. R. Martin because I feel like something, the only thing we want in the whole world is for the Stark children to be reunited together and for a moment to have Bran be like, ah, is that Arya? It's just another reminder that they're not all happily, cozily together in Winterfell. Um, and so I just had this moment of like, I hate you, George R. R. Martin. Like, this is such a little tease um, for our ultimate dream. But I thought it was funny that he called it the Arya thing. <laughs> he does that kind of stuff. Well, and then if you caught the line where it says, her eyes were queer, large and liquid, golden green, slitted like a cat's eyes. And then mm -hmm. no one has <laughs> eyes like that. So cat reference. Yeah. No one reference. You guys are stretching. When talking about <laughs> nope. Arya. But that's no, no is, we're not. <laughs> we're wow. not stretching at all. Get out. It's <laughs> really good though. I wanted to read you, well, mo more so the audience who may not be following along with us, the description of the children of the forest because they're fascinating. Also, the three-eyed raven wants to eventually get to him because he is even more fascinating. Uh, so, it, it says, it was a woman's voice, high and sweet, with strange music in it, like none that he had ever heard and a sadness that he thought might break his heart. Bran squinted to see her better. It was a girl, but smaller than Arya. Her skin dappled like a doe's beneath a cloak of leaves. And then the line that Micah read, her hair was a tangle of brown, red, and gold, autumn colors with vines and twigs and withered flowers woven through it. So uh, they just entered directly into one of old Nan's stories. And this is the first time we're actually getting to meet and see one of them, right? It's scary because we've seen White Walkers, but we don't talk to them. We've seen mm -hmm. dragons, but we don't really talk to them. This is the first time that A Song of Ice and Fire has really, air quotes, gone there. So I thought that this was a pretty big moment. Pretty, pretty big moment. Yeah, it's, it's really huge. cool. Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're meeting a person from one of the groups that have been talked about for so long in this series, uh, a fabled group, a group that's not supposed to exist anymore. And here you are. Uh, in, in the cave of the Three-Eyed Raven, talking with one of the children of the forest. Or Wodak Nagran, the squirrel people. Yeah. <laughs> and to have somebody who, like you said, Zach, we can actually interact with and speak with. Um, she mentions being among men for 200 years. And the things that she 
must know and understand and see. So it's it's so cool to be able to kind of access that history and knowledge through somebody who we can actually have a conversation with and not be burned alive by or running <laughs> after um, that's trying to kill us. So she says after after that line, he's like, wait. Or Mira's like, wait, 200 years? She kind of like laughs to herself and she goes, men, they are the children. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was good. And she called them her, herself those who sing the song of the earth, which made me think of a song of ice and fire and of, of those who sing. Before your old tongue was ever spoken, we had sung our songs 10,000 years. Hmm. So cool. I mean, the information and knowledge that these people possess is so fascinating to me. And I hope that we get to explore that a little bit more. And that's really the second part of this chapter, it, figuratively, what we just spoke about meeting Leaf or whoever this ends up being. This travel through the Werewood Tree and the close encounters we get through the roots and Bran scraping his head on top of the ceiling and the smell of soil and seeing the eyes of other children of the forest. I'm not sure if you guys got the same impression, but to me, I felt like we were sort of moving into a different phase of the story. And that was kind of our... Our, our transport you know what i mean like we we were going through the tunnel we're going through the portal in a different part of the story at one point brand's chapters turned into these sort of vision quests along where the story takes us as far as the the lore is concerned and we kind of have that same thing with the Tyrion chapter but it's much more rooted in to the lore of the people and more so in essos itself expanding the story in th that way but this brand chapter expands the story sort of mentally sort of where our third eyes would be and were led carefully into that story from the violence that was the first half of this chapter and then the pathway, which is now leading us into the second half. Well, and we've also finally come to this moment that we brand's been searching for for a really long time. And so exactly like we're culminating in this journey that brand's been on and he's, things are about to just get bigger and wider um, not only for our perspective, but for brands as well. Yeah. I mean, you're talking full circle of the okay, first chapter, second right? chapter oh, of, second of chapter. this series, right? Yeah. I mean, you have the prologue of A Game of Thrones, but Bran is the first point of view chapter in this series. He falls off the tower at the end of the chapter. And now here you are five books later and you're finally at this cave. You're finally meeting the Three-Eyed Raven. You're finally coming across the children of the forest so your hope is that now this is all going to start to make sense so i totally agree you're entering a much different phase of this story there's there's much more of a, of a magic sense mm -hmm. that i know we've talked about um sort of that pivot that shift where magic is going to start to play a much more pivotal role uh as, as we move towards uh, what'll be the the end game of this series and and now you have one of the characters that's just fully immersed in this right this this underground world of of roots of weirwood trees and and children of the forest and it sounds kind of weird to say but i <laughs> it's mean crazy he's here now and mm -hmm. and now it presents the opportunity for him to learn what what this is all about why this this person or used to be person has been waiting so long uh, for him to finally make his way to this cave. Micah, you mentioned um, Bran falling from the tower and how far we've come since then. Um, and I know we're going to want to get into the uh, 
kind of description of what the Three-Eyed Raven looks like because I think that that's really cool and him coming in there. But this moment at the very end of the chapter when Bran goes, I'm here. Um, what did he say? He says, I'm here. Only I'm broken. Will you will you fix me? My legs, I mean. He says, no, said the Pale Lord. That is beyond my powers. Bran's eyes filled with tears. We came such a long way. The chamber echoed to the sound of the Black River. And I just felt the weight of how much he's been through in that mm. moment when he just thinks like, I've come all this way believing that I'm going to be fixed. And he may be in a way that he doesn't see right now because then he immediately follows up. Uh, you'll never walk again, Bran, but you will fly. And I could just feel like Bran's heart breaking, be- believing that he was going to become whatever he thought he was going to become. But, but, to finally make it here and not get what he thought he was going to get, but then to be promised something else. And um, I thought that was such an incredible moment. Especially for us, the reader. Mm-hmm. It would be like if Frodo made it to Mount Doom and someone from the far West came and said, ah, but here's the moment in your journey where the fight really begins. You must become stronger than what you originally were to take on Sauron. The, destroying the ring alone will not. Yeah, exactly. And how about that, that cliffhanger ending to the chapter? Because we get, Brand chapters as rare as we used to get Danny chapters. You will never walk again. The pale lips promise, but you will fly. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, the what, that can mean so many things. Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about that before, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Or a raven. Come on. Or a raven. Yeah, dragon's cooler, though. How or about someone's going to push him up? again. How about... <laughs> that's so bad. How about when they were coming up the mountainside and the ravens were just pouring in and out of the cave opening and the ravens were also surrounding them on their way up? Just... No big deal. Just frightening writing by George R. R. Martin. Just I like it a lot. I wish they would have mm-hmm. done that with the show. That would have made it a little bit scarier. Yeah. Well, there was there was a good amount of difference, I think, between the show and this chapter, but nothing that really, with yeah. the exception of of Jojen surviving and cold hands beforehand, cold hands happening pre cave as opposed to post cave. Also, right. the fact that cold hands. Uh, in the show is is Benjen, uh, which George seems to have confirmed is not the case in the books. Mm-hmm. So some slight differences, but nothing that really that I can see impacts the the plot one way or the other. I but agree. As you mentioned, though, the description of of going down deep below the earth and this path that they're following. And and learning that there's not just one path, that there's multiple paths, uh, and that there's these children of the forest who have been living down there for who knows how long. Uh, and, and then, of course, the description we get of the three-eyed raven himself uh, is just so creepy. I mean, normally when you think of you know, meeting these children of the forest, there should be these happy-go-lucky people. You should be walking into this these are the nice, good guys. bright, right? Am yeah. I wrong? Yeah, like, you're right. <laughs> it's it's actually quite the opposite. It's very dark and eerie and ominous. Mm-hmm. And so is this dude. <laughs> his body was so skeletal and his clothes so rotted that at first Bran took him for another corpse, a dead man propped up so long that the roots had grown over him, under him, and through him. What skin the corpse lord showed was white, save for a bloody blotch that crept up his neck onto his cheek. His white hair was fine and thin as root hair, and long enough to brush against the earthen floor. Roots coiled around his legs like wooden serpents, one burrowed through his breeches, into the desiccated flesh of his thigh, to emerge again from his shoulder, 
A spray of dark red leaves sprouted from his skull, and gray mushrooms spotted his brow. A little skin remained, stretch across his face, tight and hard as white leather, but even that was fraying, and here and there the brown and yellow bone beneath was poking through. That's incredible. So, yeah, sounds like a uh, you know, cheery uh, master of the children <laughs> of the forest. Just a pale lord and ebon finery. No big deal. We made it to the end of our journey. And this is the guy that was talking to Bran since chapter one, chapter two of the series. Not weird at all. That he's been watching him the whole time. Yeah, low key. He watched his father being born. He watched him being born. He's seen it all. It's... It would creep me out, honestly. I'm surprised there's not more of a reaction here from from the characters that are coming face to face with this guy. They did just fight the whites. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like at this point, they're just so happy to be in a space that isn't the snow and not be fighting off, fighting for their lives. So I feel like they're probably just like, all right, you know, we can go with this. Hmm. What did you think when Bran asked him if he was the three-eyed crow and he said, once I, black of garb and black of blood. Do you think he was a member of the Night's Watch? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Black in his blood, basically meaning that he was a dedicated man of the Night's Watch. And black of garb, obviously meaning that he wore the black clothes. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's an, that's an assumption that, that I would be comfortable making. And I think it kind of squashes my brand might be the three-eyed raven theory. So, Unless he takes the black later on in life. I don't know if it was ever a serious theory, but... I was reading this and I didn't remember that small detail from my last read. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, to take the black, there would probably need to be a wall later on in the series. Yeah, too, exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. I don't so know that gonna that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it raises so many more questions. And, you know, if, if this individual was a man of the night's watch, just like cold hands seemingly was a man of the night's watch, uh, just like one of the whites that tried to attack Bran was a man of the night's watch. There's a lot of men of the Night's Watch roaming around beyond the wall. Yeah. Uh, and and it'd be interesting to learn really, truly who he is. And you know, maybe that line that you read, Zach, about how he saw Ned born and then Bran born, maybe that gives us a little bit of timing to be able to decipher about when he served. But yeah. I honestly finished this chapter with with more questions than than answers. I think that that was the point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's what we're supposed to be so far. I really need the next book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be really nice. Anytime. We have more brand yeah. in this read through, but I, I really need more. This week's episode of Game of Owns is brought to you by Movement Watches. We've talked about Movement before, a company started by two broke college kids that wanted to wear stylish watches but couldn't afford them, so they started their own watch company. Sort of reminds me of a story of a group of friends who wanted to hear a Game of Thrones podcast, but decided to start one on their own, right, guys? Well, I got a chance to check out one of these watches personally. And by check out, I mean wear. I would definitely reiterate the point about these being stylus watches that you can really wear for any occasion. You know, if you're going out casually or if you're in more of the corporate professional setting, they work in both instances. And as stated, one of the best parts about these watches, not only do they look good, but they're affordable as well. I remember when I was looking through all the watches on the movement website, I was 
tasked with having to pick just one, and that that wasn't a very easy thing to do. Movement watches start at just $95. At a department store, you're looking at $400, $500 for watches of this build and of this quality, especially watches that look this good. They figured out that by selling online, they were able to cut out the middleman and retail markup, providing the best possible price. Classic design, quality construction, and styled minimalism with over 500,000 watches sold now in 160 countries. You can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movementwatches.com slash owns. That's mvmtwatches.com slash O-W-N-S. This watch has a really clean design. Seriously, I've been getting compliments ever since I put it on. Now it's time to step up your watch game like Micah. Go to movementwatches.com slash owns. Join the movement. This episode of Game of Owns is brought to you by Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients taste better and are better for you. So it's important to know where your food comes from. And might I add, it's also very convenient when those ingredients are packaged for you and you know exactly how much to use. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. And if you head to blueapron.com slash owns, you will get your first three meals free. And I just want to share with you some of the available meals in November. Pan-seared chicken with roasted fall vegetables and butter caper sauce. Spicy lotus root and purple carrot stir-fry with sweet potato noodles. And lemongrass roasted port with Romanesco cauliflower and coconut rice. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash owns. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash O-W-N-S. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I think that also this next chapter that we have with Tyrion, it was also a chapter where I came away having a lot more questions than I came into having. Or then I like approached the chapter right. with, um, with where Tyrion is going. Kind of we, and we'll talk about when we get to the end questions that he has. And so while this chapter was a lot less action packed than than Bran's chapter, and it was a lot more like a day in the life, idyllic stroll down the river. Right. I think that <laughs> it depends what you define as but, action. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, a boat sized turtle is pretty action packed to me, but you're right. But you know what I mean? Like this felt like a very Absolutely. much like a nice little river cruise. Yeah. This chapter was curious, right? Did you guys scratch your head at any point, maybe halfway, maybe three quarters, maybe at the very end and ask yourself, what really was the point of this chapter? Yeah. Not in a negative way, but just in a, an analytical way. Like what, what was George doing with this chapter? I don't think that it was just a, a stroll down the river. I I think some of it was to teach us about the history of the area that they were in, uh, you know, to to basically unpack a ton of information, uh, to to make some comparisons also between where they are in Westeros, especially when they're talking about the rivers. Mm-hmm. Right. I also thought that there there was a clear point in in Tyrion writing down everything that he knew about dragons mm-hmm. and also his building relationships uh, amongst those that he's on the ship with uh, particularly young griff right um and then the very end i think it's clear that he has learned something but we're not entirely sure what it is that he's learned because 
he's he's defeated the the half maester right at cybass at cybass yeah exactly I, I would agree with you i think that this was very like info dumpy in terms of like the history of the area and i think i would say that if we had to pick a reason why this chapter was here i think it, it is a lot to shine light on who young griff is um and kind of what Tyrion is learning throughout which we're not sure for sure but kind of the questions that Tyrion either receives answers to or, or whatever um mm-hmm. i would say is the point of all of this which you don't really know until you reach the end though so do, do you feel like you could draw uh, any conclusions at this point in, in terms of of who young griff is or or you as a reader don't have enough information whereas i feel like Tyrion, even in previous chapters that we've read because this is what the fourth chapter yeah of his mm-hmm. in in a dance with dragons so I think he's slowly been drawing his own conclusions based on information that he alone has. Sure, we get insight into his mind in these chapters, but I, I still feel like he's very perceptive. He knows not to take things at face value. I think that's even mentioned in this chapter at some point. And so he he's figuring out for himself what's happening around him. And I think he's just he he, he the clues are there and and now he's starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together i was a few pages to the chapter and i thought to myself the chapter kind of feels like a jape the way that he's thinking about septa lamore going in and out of the water bathing and the jokes he's making to griff as he comes up and uh the joke griff's like the deck is yours and it just felt very casual and like you said hannah just kind of like a day in the life of of a pole bolt heading up the ruin and i, I try to remember that george r. r martin didn't do this uh for a reason that wasn't very specific and i love the fact that we get so much history as they're traveling and we'll eventually get to that as they reach abandoned fortresses and we see the old man in the river and obviously learning more about young griff and those hints that were laid there but I felt like his relationship with Septa Lamore, and more importantly, the things that were said about Septa Lamore, the stretch marks on her stomach, the kind of person that she is, and the way that she interacts with him while being a Septa, I thought that it was a bit too heavy-handed for George R. R. Martin to, to leave scattered by. And um, I think that that's the point of at least the first half of this chapter, is to uh, to think of the shy maid and how it's specifically noted that she's not anything like the boat's namesake the way she disrobes and goes into the water mm-hmm. you know what right. i mean like it, it just it, it all felt very heavy-handed and i liked it because i think that she's going to end up playing a role later on yeah and i felt like um he mentioned something about how everybody who is on that boat has is hiding a past, something it's hiding yeah. something and has a past that maybe isn't nobody knows about or that they can't talk about or that they won't talk about but yeah one of my questions is who septa lamore is and i don't think we know the answer to that yeah, I mean, I think that this could be a chapter that someday we kind of come back to and go, oh, well, you know, there was answer X, Y, Z, and we're just thinking that they're hanging out in the sun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sunbathing down the road. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it was it was very fun. The life and times of Hugo Hill, also known as Yolo, the bastard of Lannisport, traveling with his new friends and uh, getting up every morning to see the shapely, handsome forty plus, not quite pretty still, but handsome forty plus septa go and bathe. And, I, and mm-hmm. the only reason I mention it so much is because George R. R. Martin spoke about it. he wrote about it so much. It would be easy to to talk about 
you know, in our literary analysis of this chapter to sort of skip over it and to be like, ah, oh, it's just George kind of, you know, exerting his power of, of being the writer and extending a sex scene, maybe a few more paragraphs than it could have or maybe should have gone. Especially after what we talked about in the last episode. Right. And I like those things. So I'm, I, I'd li- <laughs> I like his language and I think it's fun. But this uh, there was a purpose to all this and it kept going. It wasn't a few moments and we're past it. It kept going. And I think that it did two things. To me, I felt like it was shining light on Septilamore's self. And I also thought that it was shining a pretty heavy light on the Tyrion that we've been speaking about over his last two chapters. Not to mention those things, but his several asides, the way he thinks about Taisha in a moment of self-reflection and wonders where, where whores go. I think that Tyrion is slowly but surely escalating into this just absolutely absurd state of madness. And because he's so smart and because we like him so much, I think it's easy to stay blind to it. But I feel like George is just driving it in with a hammer and chisel. Like, this guy is not doing well, and he's kind of going out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's also somewhat ironic that he is on a boat called the Shy Maid, yet at the same time, he is deprived of the things that we've come to know and love him for, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Septa. Um, but that's how his mind works. Uh, yet yeah. he knows that he can't have it as much as he wants to, and that's the same with the drinking, right? He's he he's been known to drink a lot throughout the course of this series. Yet they're not allowing him to do so because of you know, the condition that he showed himself to be in when he first got on smart. the ship. Yeah, it's probably for the best. And I think that, but I think Zach, that you're right. Like. Tyrion is really kind of going through a dark time and there's so many moments when he's talking about being thrown down the well as a child and how he the story about how he when he was a kid and he learned to do cartwheels and tumble and then Tywin comes home and is like you're not a monkey you're a lion um Mm -hmm. you know he says something along the lines of you're born a dwarf why must you also act a fool um so many of these really really intensely dark moments that Tyrion has been through that kind of come up and have come up as as over the last couple chapters as he's going through what he's been going through um it's just a reminder that he's got a storied past and um we shouldn't i think that sometimes we read these things and they come off as kind of funny um and interesting almost because Tyrion has this way about him that allows him to speak about his past in a way in, in jokes really. Um, and to try to be, I don't know, hashtag relatable, but to not gloss over that and to not just take it as another funny Tyrion story, but that he's really in a very deep, dark place. And so I think that him not being able to drown that out with his drinking is probably a good thing. Um, I agree. it might hurt, but you think I think you'd get more good. belligerent if he was drinking. I don't think so, but I think, I think that him drinking, makes it so he doesn't have to think about these kinds of things. Like, I think that, I think that that he talks about how he can't sleep because his mind is just everywhere. And I think that he, it's better for him to, instead of just trying to wash it all away, try to use it as whatever, as, Hmm. as a power to kind of continue to, to push forward instead of trying to just bury it all, you know? Right. That's what Illyria wants out of him is for Tyrion to become the strong person 
that Varys spoke about that is inside of him, this very someone that is wise enough to write down the history of dragons from the back of his mind and to speak several languages and to be of actual help to this very interesting party of people in this Game of Thrones moving in an important continent in Essos and they have a very important job and Tyrion's uh, future is also pretty damn important you know like there's a lot of potential inside of him and i feel like if he is going mad right now and if obviously he's going through withdrawals with with wine and he's obviously gone through so much that would give him a reason to be so upset as he's at this point i feel like and this is something we've talked about before the way the show adapted Tyrion, not to harp on it again didn't see Tyrion hit the depths that he will hit in a dance with dragons and he's hitting those depths now casually this chapter takes us through moments piece by piece we see them kneading dough for morning biscuits we we see them taking a piss off the side of the boat like this is a very slow chapter and it zooms into the moments like you were saying hannah where he's telling a joke it'll end with he agreed pleasantly and then it'll go into an italic and when i die please let them bury me with a crossbow so i can thank the father above for his gifts the same way i thank the father below yeah <laughs> right yeah i, I was <laughs> gonna wild. say complete agreement yeah, it is. And, and, you know, Hannah, when you read the line earlier about you were born, born a lion, not a monkey. And then he responds by saying, saying, and you're a corpse father. So I'll caper as I please. You know, it's, it's the same thing that exact just read about the crossbow. It's like he has these internal monologues where he, it's, he seems completely deranged. I mean, it's some yeah. crazy shit. Like this is a kind of person you would think with a dagger would just slice everyone's throats and dance around painting the blood on top of himself. Yeah, he's got a lot of issues. And so I think I think it's smart for him to kind of work through them when he's in a place where he can work through them, you know, when he's stuck on a boat, he can't drink himself silly because he's got Griff there who he respects and fears a little bit, kind of keeping an eye on him. And he's got these people that he's grown to like. George wrote Tyrion into almost the perfect situation. He can't even go into the water very long because the turtles are so big they could buy him in half. (laughs) But yet again. So much of our adventure is through Tyrion, right? He's he's the one that sees all these amazing places. He's the one that's getting this this mass exposure to all different parts of Westeros and now all these different parts of Essos as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. That's when I was at, at some point, I, quite, I just asked, why is George doing this to Tyrion? Why is he putting him here? Why is he put him through what he's put him through? Why is he putting through this? Why does he give him lines like, the turtles have their charms, I will allow. Nothing delights me as much as the sight of a pair of nice, shapely shells. <laughs> because Tyrion would say that. I mean, <laughs> we know he's not talking about turtles. That's the most on-brand Tyrion thing I've ever heard, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. I just feel like he's got, hopefully, this incredibly epic redemption arc ahead of him. Well, yeah. he certainly knows a lot about dragons. And I tend to think that perhaps that could play into a redemption arc of his in the future, just the sheer knowledge that he has. And, you know, it's it's also clear from some of the lessons that he has with young Griff that he's very smart. And, and a yeah. lot of the studies that he had when he was back in Westeros are, are you know, it said that they start coming back to him. I think that he's definitely somebody that Daenerys would benefit from from having at her side. It's, it's so interesting to me as he starts to recall all these things and write all these things down. He knows a lot about dragons, but he can also quote moments from different authors and compare what their different opinions were. And I was not like that 
in high school and never have been like being able to remember in such detail all of this stuff about dragon lore and i know that's something that he's been passionate about for a very long time but um his ability to kind of recall all that he can um exactly like you're saying mike it's going to be so beneficial for someone who is imperative that they tame their dragons essentially but i also as Tyrion's recalling all these things about dragons and in all these books that he's read and all these books that he wishes he could get his hands on felt the same way. You know, can you imagine like being able to sit down with some of these scrolls um, and be able to like dive into all of this dragon lore alongside Tyrion? I think that would just be so cool. Whenever there's a book mentioned in the series, I'm like, I would love to read that too. So the fires of the freehold Galendro's history of Valyria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it would take George R. R. Martin like three hours to write that. And I would totally Please buy it. it. So <laughs> it would take way more than three hours for him to write anything. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you could pull JK Rowling, uh, have someone ghostwrite it like on Pottermore and then you can bound mm-hmm. it and I'll still buy it. Yeah. But, yeah. but this, this part of the chapter is very Hermione-esque. It's it's very Sam-like, too. I, I have a feeling like on this topic, Tyrion and Sam would, would get along very well. Oh, yeah. I feel like Tyrion ex- exceeds these characters, though. Like, Tyrion's the guy. Remember that Tyrion was, in the past, the Hand of the King of Seven Kingdoms on top of all of his intrinsic abilities. You know what I mean? Like, he's been through a lot. He's handled pressure, and he's insanely smart. He's got the whole package. He's book smart, and he's also got the the um, experience. Except he's out of, he's kind of going out of his mind. <laughs> well, maybe that that's a, a good thing. We're trying to work through that. Yeah, I, uh, we're trying yeah. to work through that. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was a mention, though, towards the end when he's going through... Uh, all the different books that there was one called the death of dragons and the only surviving copy supposedly is hidden away in a locked vault beneath the citadel Mm -hmm. is that just happenstance that that's mentioned there that's like a backdoor sinkhole reference hopefully Uh, okay i just wanted to make sure i hope so please i would love that yeah these books are pretty good huh hurry up sam and then Tyrion says my name is hugor YOLO is hiding in my breeches. Shall I let him out to play? <laughs> that's that's typical Tyrion, though. <laughs> there were so many Tyrion lines that were just, like, so Tyrion this whole chapter. And we even got a cartwheel, which George went on to explain his uh, teachings of the acrobatic arts. And it kind of explains that, remember the, the random, like, triple front flip he did in the, the first book when he met Jon Snow? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Is that Remember real? He like, he like jumps off like he's like standing on a staircase and he's like, hello. As mentioned uh, earlier, though, there's a ton of information that gets unpacked in this chapter that's historical in context. And it's not just Tyrion sitting there writing about dragons. It's not just learning all about the Roin Griff in his lessons, young Griff, I should say, learning uh, about Volantis. And there was just this really amazing description uh, that George wrote about Volantis and about those who ruled uh, that I think it's only appropriate that we read. Volantis is the oldest of the nine free cities, first daughter of Valyria. The lad replied in a bored tone. After the doom, it pleased the Volantines to consider themselves the heirs of the freehold and rightful rulers of the world. But they were divided as to how dominion might best be achieved. 
The old blood favored the sword, while the merchants and moneylenders advocated trade. As they contended for rule of the city, the factions became known as the Tigers and Elephants, respectively. The Tigers held sway for almost a century after the Doom of Valyria. For a time, they were successful. A Valentine fleet took Lys, and a Valentine army captured Mir. And for two generations, all three cities were ruled from within the Black Walls. That ended when the Tigers tried to swallow Tyrosh. Pentos came into the war on the Tyroshi side, along with the Westerosi Storm King. Bravos provided a Lycenae exile with a hundred warships. Aegon Targaryen flew forth from Dragonstone on the Black Dread, and Mir and Lys rose up in rebellion. The war left the disputed lands a waste and freed Lys and Mir from the yoke. The Tigers suffered other defeats as well. The fleet they sent to reclaim Valyria vanished in the smoking sea. Korhor and Novos broke their power on the Rhoyne when the fire galleys fought on the Dagger Lake. Out of the east came the Dothraki, driving small folk from their hovels and nobles from their estates, only until grass and ruins remained from the forest of Kohor, from the headwaters of the Selharu. After a century of war, Volantis found herself broken, bankrupt, and depopulated. It was then that the elephants rose up. They have held sway ever since. Some years the tigers elect a triarch, and some years they do not, but never more than one. So the elephants have ruled the city for 300 years. So that was a quick way to get all of that info. (laughs) (laughs) A little history history. done. I love that we had a Targaryen fly in from Dragonstone and also a Westerosi Storm King. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Also, the Bravosi came into part of this conflict. I just, you know, after the the Doom of Valyria, I guess one of the kingdoms was positioned to become, well, what do we do now? And Volantis being the first daughter of those people, it just makes sense. And it just, it's just funny how their overextension kind of did the same thing to them, where the the Targaryens moved west to Westeros and made a new place. Volantis is still kind of suffering from their overextension before after everyone ganged up on them because it's still like depopulated and now it's ran by moneylenders instead of with the strength of the tigers it's so funny mm-hmm. and i love how young griff recites this it says in a bored tone as yeah. we read um because it's all this intensely rich history that i think that we as readers are excited to kind of dive into um but for someone like young griff he's just like all right let me just get through this. Like, I'm trying to just get through my lesson. Well, are there lessons in there to be learned, though, for us, for readers, as well as for the characters in the series? It's almost like, in some cases, are we seeing history repeat itself? I thought the same thing. I thought about the uh, the sort of innocence of where we are in the story. I thought about when we were going through the, the last chapter, when we were talking about brands, how um, we were getting the scope given to us by the child of the forest while in this chapter we're getting the scope of Essos and what has happened there given to us by a recital from young Griff. It all is a, uh, you know, part of a larger picture and this world's gone through a lot and we see it as they're, they're traveling up the Rhoyne and we see Nysar, N- Nymeria's palace, this incredibly fortified structure among this giant part where the rivers meet and the Rhoyne and it's much larger than he ever could have imagined and before early in the chapter he was talking about the depth of the black water and the width of the mouth of the trident and and, and the, the greatness of Westeros and Tyrion himself is just stunned and taken aback and I think that this sort of sweeping narrative branching from the Valentine's story and also to the, the sheer size of Nymeria's palace where the fleets could have been parked and all of the the intricacies he sees. George R. R. Martin just 
took a flourish in this chapter and uh, gave us this sweeping scope of uh, where the other half of our story has been residing. Yeah, it's it's like a completely new world is being opened up to us, similar to Brand's chapter where you know, we've read for so long about Children of the Forest and, and Brand has been on this quest so long to find the Three-Eyed Raven. Finally, we enter this this cave, this new world where we don't really know a whole lot and, and same with with them being now Materian, I should say, now being over in Essos, it's there's a lot to learn, a lot of history that is has valuable pieces of information that could ultimately help you know the 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 story arcs of, of many of these characters that that are over there and really impact the future of of Tyrion, of, of Daenerys and and of others. Mm-hmm. And like inform yeah, the I decisions that they make learning from the past mistakes of people right and and i think we would be also ignorant to not think that these places will also play a pivotal role in in the outcome of of this series right it's not it's not like we're we're talking about um tyrosh and and mir and Lys and and bravos and volantis for no reason right yeah. you know and- yeah i wouldn't see george r. r martin spending so much time on something that wouldn't matter I mean, these books are long enough. Like, there's, there's, there's not a lot of space to kind of mess around. Um, and so, I think that on one hand, it is also just very cool world building and expanding um, this space that we already love. It just is also something that, that we can't just, like you said, Micah, gloss through and, and not pay attention to, or at least not, not give give note to and say, hey, you know, this this history is important um, and could repeat itself. And I appreciate the change of pace. I liked the info dump. I liked the information about Volantis because I've always wondered about those seven free cities and I've always been interested about uh, their pasts and specifically about Volantis since we eventually visit. And um, the way this chapter just sort of wraps up with the, the Sybass battle with Tyrion possibly learning more information that we figure out later with the the turtles crawling out of Halden's ass because he lost Sybass against Tyrion. He's been playing him the whole time <laughs> to the river widening up and the old man of the river, this just massive bellowing turtle coming out and roaring. I just kind of heard music and uh, it just felt like picture-esque, you know what I mean? Like almost the, the end of an episode or the ending of a book or almost, yeah. it just felt like it was just so beautiful how it was all happening and it, it's just, it was just happy. I don't know. And with all of them kind of running up onto the deck. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I totally felt that same way. Um, and I think that whatever, it, whatever secret Tyrion gets out of Housen and whatever information we will eventually learn from this game that, that he finally won um, is obviously going to be really important as, as Tyrion said, gods and wonders always appear to attend the birth of kings <laughs> which is not i mean that's not just like a throwaway comment chapter ends on a very cryptic note much like the last one did so once again no we're deal. left with more questions than we have answers for so thanks george <laughs> i didn't know a, a turtle could roar but <laughs> you learn something new every day they can in a song of ice and fire old princes and essos used to ride up turtles on the ruin that might get my own that's pretty damn cool that's pretty damn cool. But I have to I have to give my Tyrion own. I'm just going to skip right to it. If you want to conquer the world, you best have dragons. The lesson that Griff learns from the lesson. Mm-hmm. Tigers, <laughs> elephants, good. you can't keep it. It'll, you know, the only people that ever managed to do it were the Targaryens. And Tyrion mm. kind of laughs to himself. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> my Tyrion own kind why. of goes along those same lines when he, he thinks to himself, 
Once a man has seen a dragon in flight, let him stay at home and tend his garden in content. Someone had written once, for this wide world is no greater wonder. Um, so just kind of continuing on this theme that dragons are majestic and important. Clearly they've never seen Winterboo. <laughs> Deep cut. I forgot about Winterboo, but Winter Coup should be making an appearance soon. Hopefully. Well, my Tyrion own goes to uh, Tyrion. I think it's half quote, half internal monologue when he says, Illyrio does not play Cybass. No, thought the dwarf. He plays the Game of Thrones, and you and Griff and Duck are only pieces to be moved where he will and sacrificed at need, just as he sacrificed just as he sacrificed Viserys. Yeah. Ouch. I love this is like cliche, but anytime the Game of Thrones is mentioned, I just like get really hyped about it. And I think I'm gonna give my own of the brand chapter to I wanna say in general, the atmosphere of everything beneath the tree. But something that I wanted to mention that I know that we casually mentioned, but I never said out loud, was the fact that there's a river under the tree. It's just a good hidey hole. It's got the wards. It's got the uh, river. It's got it's just got a little bit of everything. So not a very cool loan, but I just thought, all right, that's perfect. <laughs> a bit a bit anticlimactic, but <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Um, I'm going to give my own for the brand chapter to Old Nan. Um, when we mentioned this, but it says, uh, who are you? Mira was asking brand new. She's a child, a child of the forest. He shivered as much from wonderment as cold. They had fallen into one of old Nan's tales, mm-hmm. um, which is so cool. And we talked about, you know, the culmination of brand finally reaching where he is. Um, but to kind of be able to come alive into these stories that you were told as a child is, is pretty cool. Um, as he shivers in wonderment as well as cold. So my own to old Nan. So I'll give my own to uh, the child of the forest since we don't know her name and she only has one when she needs one apparently. Uh, When they're talking about cold hands and Bran says to her, they'll kill him. And she responds by saying, no, they killed him long ago. That was just for me. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I should have made that assumption, but just the confirmation of it. I agree. It was so casual and so much was happening that they didn't ask her a second time. They just understood. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Stuff's about to get real. So, of course, now that we've given our owns, that means that it's time to go and read owns that the listeners sent in. All right, King Wells. Our first tweet. Owned a Tyrion and his love of turtles and shapely shells. LOL. <laughs> Hashtag the God of Tits and Wine. Uh, next, we have uh, Jerry and Laos. Uh, hope it's not too late. Dot, dot. Bran owned to cold hands. Did his job. Got Bran to Three-Eyed Raven. Gonna miss that guy. Same. For now. Hopefully. Peter Polensky. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> Quote, a toast to the proud Lannister children. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. <laughs> Tyrion Lannister, season four, episode two, a late on. Okay. <laughs> we were going sure, through. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. We're going through and collecting owns and we we're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like a little late, but thanks anyway, Peter. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> um, Susan Stacy with a topical own. A Feast of Dragons brand two. This chapter was owned by horror. Pure, terrible horror. And then in the end, wonder. At Beauty Brienne, Mira gets an own for being one of the most unsung, least sung heroes of this entire series. 
That's a good point. Um, and then also the high school history class slash expo dump on Volantis gets known too for some frankly awesome world building. I agree. Julie Harris Green at Inky Pages says, Bran, the child of the forest owns the whites. Quote, fire burns them. Hashtag, she doesn't even need a hand grenade. Mm-mm. <laughs> Just fired. Simon Amundsen, owned to Bran for being brave enough, even though he was afraid. Hashtag, the only time a man can be brave. Hashtag, Ned's words. And then last from Twitter, we have at Heathen King, um, who says, Tyrion owned to the turtle, with the turtle emoji, which I appreciate. Uh, the old man of the river and the wonder that should appear to attend the birth of a king. <laughs> and his Bran owned goes to Summer for fucking up the white that attacked Bran. Hashtag, Oh, sorry. Quote, glimpsed skin, tear like cheap cloth. Heard the splintering of bone. Yeah. <laughs> bit pretty hard. Um, lastly, we have an email from Adam who says, hello, Game of Bones squad. Um, I joined the party late, but I'm caught up and really enjoying the Feast of Dragons reread. My first ever own, congratulations, goes to the white and brand chapter that took a full-fledged Hodor kick to the face and didn't even <laughs> flinch. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Uh, my own for the Tyrion chapter goes to Griff for holding a one-man intervention for Tyrion's alcohol addiction. You are done with drink. Wine helps me sleep, Tyrion protested. <laughs> then stay awake. Talk about, t- <laughs> talk about tough love. Keep up yeah. the good work, Adam. Appreciate you guys sending us zones during this busy Halloween weekend. I know you're all out in costumes, eating candy, giving candy, taking candy from strangers. We appreciate it. Taking pictures of cute babies in cute costumes. I've been playing with my dog, feeding him food that I shouldn't be doing. He's gotten to the point where he likes to just sit near me anytime that I have food or prepare food for myself. Um, that's the kind of stuff you'll hear about on A Squad of Ice and Fire. <laughs> and a reminder, though, that uh, we will continue our Feast with Dragons read-through uh, with Davos 2 and Daenerys 3, both A Dance with Dragon chapters. Be sure to send in your owns for them. You can do so in a number of ways. You can tweet at us that seems to be the most popular option at Game of Owns on Twitter. Scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns or uh, shoot us an email like Adam did at contact at Game of If you haven't sent in an own to us yet, look at the nice little congratulations you get when you send in your first first own. Just from Hannah. Hannah's the only one that congratulates me. <laughs> I'm the official hype person. Well, it's a tough job. Someone's got to do it. And as Zach so eloquently alluded to, we do have another podcast uh, called The Squad of Ice and Fire that is up on our Patreon. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash goo, you can check that out. We recorded earlier this week with a little bit about our time in Burbank for LeakyCon. So it was good. Just check it out. Also invited a completely random friend of mine to join <laughs> our conversation. And it was, so it's me, Zach, and Arando. So it was really fun. Michael was in Austin being very important for the entire week like he normally is. Michael, what's your life like? In the- <laughs> of Austin or New York? <laughs> Didn't you see like Elon Musk speak or something like that? Yeah. No, it was it was Trevor Noah. Okay. Who was great, by the way. Very funny. Need to watch more Daily Show uh, because... Uh, I'll be honest, I haven't since John Stewart left, but this has uh, re-engaged my interest. So, uh, Austin is a great city for those of our listeners who live or are from there. Shout out. I wish I could see more of it. Did you get a Lone Star, like I asked? <laughs> a Lone Star? I did get a really cool shot glass. Well, that's a little taste of our squad cast. <laughs> With a dead skull on it. <laughs> if you want to hear more, 
Support our show at patreon.com slash goo. Thank you very much. Uh, we've also been busy at work with Con of Thrones. If you head over to Watchers on the Wall, we made an announcement just a couple of days ago about programming and how that's going to work and how you can get involved. I heard a rumor that Micah is hosting a karaoke night two nights at the convention, so you're not going to want to miss that one. I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> I'm hosting. I didn't say I was singing. <laughs> Both excite me. Micah is forcing all attendees to sing at least one Billy Joel song. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough out there. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. For Davos and Danny. drinking I, a drink I'm of gonna, water like, man pee my pants like i <laughs> why because oh, i said man. it's so like matter of fact yeah, I, like drink like 80 cups of water i'm gonna die that's <laughs> <was> so funny <laughs> all right sorry um <clears throat> no please